Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that plays with cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we look at new stories, including Volkswagen sales and what they're doing to try and redeem their image. We have been to the launch of the latest Kia Optima, an optimistic name, but a good car nonetheless. And we have the second instalment of the Quirky News team talking about the weird and wonderful cars from the Tokyo Motor Show. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. The sales figures for the month of October are now in, and the news for Volkswagen is not particularly good in the light of the emissions scandal. Their sales for the month are down 6%. On its own, monthly sales figures can vary significantly, but Volkswagen has been running at a 14% increase for the year up until this stage. Their popular models have been the hardest hit. Golf, Polo, Amarok, Tiguan and Tureg have all seen significant reversals of trends in the market. That is up 3% overall. In the UK, overall sales are down 1.1%, but Volkswagen is down 10%, as are other VW brands, Skoda, 3%, and Seat, 32%. In the US, sales overall are up nearly 14%, but Volkswagen sales are flat. Volkswagen's fortunes are also taking a beating on another front. One of the most prestigious Car of the Year awards has excluded all Audi, Volkswagen and Skoda vehicles, not just the models caught up in the emissions scandal, from this year's competition. The Australian Automobile Association, which represents the major motoring clubs of Australia, has postponed its review program to reconsider criteria it uses to critically appraise vehicles nominated in the annual assessment. In a statement, AAA Chief Executive Officer Michael Bradley said that given the extent of the still-emerging scandal, it would not be fair to include any vehicles suspected of using the evasive software. Volkswagen in America is fighting back with a goodwill package for some of their owners, whose cars have been affected by the emissions scandal. The package includes a US $500 prepaid credit card, a Volkswagen Group of America store credit to the same value, as well as an additional three years of free roadside assistance. The program covers only VW-branded vehicles released between 2009 and 2015 that contain the cheat code software. Some 482,000 vehicles in total have been identified by VW as being affected by the scandal. This could cost VW up to the equivalent of 710 million Australian dollars. The deal comes on top of a $3,000 offer made by the company last month to existing owners of VWs towards the purchase of a new Volkswagen petrol or hybrid model. Hyundai Australia has suffered a setback with its newly released Tucson midsize SUV, receiving only a four-star ANCAP safety rating. This rating applies to the two-litre petrol two-wheel drive variants. Testing revealed the structural integrity of the driver footwell was compromised and there was also excessive movement of the brake pedal, ANCAP Chief Executive Officer James Goodwin said. 
Hyundai has taken immediate steps to make design and production changes to improve the safety of the model. The Tucson was rated higher by Euro NCAP due to differences in the crash performance as well as a higher standard of safety features including a pop-up bonnet to improve pedestrian safety which are not available to consumers in Australasia. In 1994, the Victorian Transport Accident Commission produced a road safety ad that showed a young couple in a combi van who had been travelling all night. The driver falls asleep at the wheel and they are both killed when the car veers across the road into the path of a large truck. Now they have remade the ad where, this time, the driver is in a modern five-star vehicle with a fatigue detection system and the road is treated with state-of-the-art safety infrastructure, including a centre-line wire rope barrier to prevent vehicles crossing into oncoming traffic. When the fatigue detection sounds, it prompts the driver to pull over and swap with his passenger. The scenario that ended in two fatalities in 1994 now results in nothing more than a wake-up call. You know you have an exclusive motor car when the company has to have a recall for one vehicle only. In a letter issued by the US National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Rolls-Royce, who are owned by BMW, announced it was recalling a single Ghost model made in 2014. The affected vehicle has thorax airbags fitted to both front seats that may fail to meet the side impact performance requirements. The car cost $500,000. According to the Financial Times, the affected car had left its factory in Goodwood, East Sussex, in January 2014, but its North American owner had not yet taken delivery. This could save Rolls-Royce having to provide the buyer with a courtesy car while the repair is being made. And that has been the news. The Kia Optima first came onto the Australian market in 2011. It's a medium-sized car. It succeeded the Magentus, although the Optimum name had already been in use in the US. The new model in 2011, with a new name, was, I believe, a pivotal car for Kia. Kia had improved its qualities and features pretty well up to that point, although ride and handling maybe are still a bit behind. With the Optima, they produced a very good-looking car with a comprehensive amount of features. Kia has just launched the second-generation Optima, it has two versions, the base model SI at 34500 and the top-of-the-range GT at 44000 plus on-road costs. Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au and I were at the launch, and Paul joins us on the line to chat about how good, or not, the new model is. Paul, I'd have to say that I like the design of the old one, but this one goes a nice a step further. The first one had a few sharp design edges to it, almost a bit of a brash kid on the block. This new one, it's still good, but it's a little bit more mature. It doesn't make it b- boring, but it just is more quietly confident in its position, to my mind. Am I being a, a bit over the top? No, David, no, I don't think so at all. Um, this particular category, the mid-size saloon, is a very conservative segment, and what happens is that the car design tends to reflect, obviously, the desires of the buyers. So the design itself becomes fairly 
to be kind, let's call it anodyne. Um, Peter Schreyer, who is now designing for Kia, uh, is a little bit braver. And the, the first Optima had some nice curves and kicks and, and elements about it. But as you said, to some extent, some of those things were just a little bit over the top for their conservative buyers. And I think you made the point at the launch that things like the, the mag wheels that looked a bit sort of backward cappish, um, they've been toned down. Yeah, they had a, original mag wheels which were very full and only had sort of slight slits in them. They looked a little bit like those aftermarket ones you buy to put a bit of bling on your car. And I don't think that's really where the market was coming from. It, it didn't didn't enhance it as much as a good set of, better set of mag wheels could have. No, and in fact, as, as it didn't enhance it as much as I think the current mag wheels do. It has 17-inch uh, and 18-inch wheels, and I think they suited much, much more than the, the slightly over-the-top previous one. Mm. Yeah, now, it's a, a bigger, 10 millimetres uh, longer, for 25 millimetres wider, 10 millimetres higher, not, not huge amounts, half an inch, an inch here and there. Uh, but uh, an example of what's happening in the market, I guess. Very much so. The just just increasing those those numbers almost minimally seems to give you a bit more shoulder room and a bit more headroom and a bit more legroom in the rear. It's quite incredible how how designers and engineers can can all just get little tiny increments that that all add up to an improvement. The the suspension on it, the first one probably still wasn't its strongest feature. The new one, stiffer body, a bit better suspension. Is it working out better? Uh, it's Look, the car has a bit of a split personality, David, and I think we need to make it clear for your listeners that the entry level, which is the SI, is designed for the fleet market. Hence, it's sort of low entry price at 34 490 um, The GT is quite a different car, and, and I have to say that to me, the GT is better in almost every measurable factor. Um, but then there's a big jump in price, so you pay for that improvement. So when we talk about the suspension, yes, indeed, I found that the SI was not quite as good as the GT when it came to suspension, when it came to steering response, when it came to all those those dynamics factors. And that's not to criticise the SI. It's a very, very good car. It's just that when you put it side by side with the GT, you start to see that the DT is just that little bit better and then you start to see how much better the SI perhaps could have been. Yeah, I didn't think it had sort of a real on or off sharpness in the turn-in and that, yet I thought it was fairly sure-footed when we are going up through Macquarie Pass, you know, with some 25 or slower kilometre-an-hour corners, uh, not to hound into them wildly, but when you're coming out of them and uphill you, you really want the car to get the power to the ground comfortably and securely. I thought that did that pretty well without being a sports car handling vehicle. I agree. Again, we're talking about this particular category of, of car. Um, Kia did make the claim that it's, you know, to some extent, it's a driver's car. Well, you know, it's look, it's it's more of a driver's car than the previous ones. It is perhaps more of a driver's car. And again, we're still talking about the GT in particular than previous uh, Korean cars. Um, look, it's an enjoyable thing to drive. It doesn't it doesn't let you down in any measurable way or any way that you would sort of suddenly leap up and down and wave your arms in the air. It is a very nicely pulled together car. And of course, as usual, um, the local input from the Kia guys has improved it. I didn't drive and driven the Korean spec car, 
but local input is, is making these cars much, much more suitable for, for local conditions. Yeah, we talk about the two different models. The base model actually has the bigger engine, but the GT has a 2-litre twin-scroll turbo. Uh, the base model 2.4-litre engine, that was what was in the previous Optima, uh, probably a little bit wheezy, well, not bad, but uh, again, it's the distinction between getting towards a driver's car versus being a nice, good, fleet, solid performer. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Um, I, I, and I don't know about you, but I'd never, I never felt that I was being shortchanged in the previous one because all the previous models had the 2.4 litre naturally aspirated engine. Once again, it's only a matter of when you stand it, stack it up against the new 2 litre turbocharged engine that you see, as you say, a little bit wheezy. It has to work a little bit harder. It has to rev a little bit harder. It's not happy revving hard. Uh, that's the difference between, I guess, you know, 138 kilowatts versus 180 kilowatts. That's the difference between 241 newton meters and 350 newton meters. Those latter figures, which are in the GT, give you that little bit more in reserve. They give you that sort of more confidence to go into a to do an overtaking manoeuvre or to to cruise along at you know 110 at the open road speed limit. Paul, as always, informative and wonderful to talk to. Thanks again for your time. Thank you, David. And that's Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au and we were talking about the Kia Optima medium-sized sedan. And the full interview with Paul about the Kia Optima can be heard on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Last week, the Quirky News panellists started a discussion on the uncanny and wonderful world of cars from the Tokyo Motor Show. Brian and Errol really got into their stride, so here is the rest of the vehicles that they offered their irreverent opinions on. Now, Toyota is also uh, uh, trying to get into the sports car, little sports car, away. They've done very well with the 86, but this is a, a smaller one, the SFR. This is the Toyota MX-5, isn't it, essentially? Uh, yes. It reminds me more of the, the Daihatsu little coupe they made. Copen. The Copen, okay, yes. It's, it's reminiscent yes. of the Copen, isn't it? But it, it looks like it's a, a great basking whale mouth that's about to swallow a Copen. Because it has this <laughs> massive sort of grill that looks like a whale's mouth. Grope of fish or something. It's sort of a cross between the Copen, the Daihatsu, the old James Bond car. Do you remember the 2000 GT? Yes, Mm. which was not a bad-looking car when you've put it with the Copen. They've almost got it right, but they've kind of made a Copen instead. I think it'll sell. If it comes to Australia, it's a really quirky and interesting-looking car. There were some exotics over there. We know that the Japanese and the Tokyo, in Tokyo, the the motor show is a little bit, well, uniquely Japanese, but what some of the Japanese manufacturers are doing are building some pretty exotic-looking cars. Now, rotary engine Mazdas, the RX 7 and 8 were the last ones that we had. You know, it goes back to the RX 3 and RX 2 and things uh, in earlier times, but the later ones were sports cars. Now they've got the RX Vision concept, so we don't know if it's going to build there. But, gentlemen, is this not a pretty good-looking car? It looks like a cartoon villain's car. 
Okay. Yes, yes. It is a sleek looking vehicle. It's very wide. It's, very, it's looking at the pictures. Uh, the people look like ants. It's huge. And ironically, the windows are so small. I think you have very little vision. Well, the from bonnet the is just so long. It's incredibly long bonnet on it, isn't it? It's, it's sort of a throwback to the '60s uh, sort of stingrays. You know that massive. Yeah, well, it's like a, a one of those bulbous Corvettes or something. Of the. I think the back is a little bit of Aston Martin, and the front's a little bit of Ferrari California. It's reminiscent of an Aston Martin that's kind of been distorted. It's almost a caricature of a of an Aston Martin. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty good though. It's the 21st century. You know, we've got climate change, a whole lot of stuff happening, and and what cars we really need are cars that are more versatile, low impact sort of cars. The ones that get all the attention are these sort of ridiculously sporty cars that will only be owned by a handful of people. But I thought I thought they'd um, dump the rotary anyway. I thought they weren't going to make any more. When they're not making any more for production, they're still developing it. They're still research, doing research on it. But there is uh, some question whether this it might come back to this car. Very hard to make them meet emission yes, standards. Yes, of course, yes. But I, I, think, I actually don't think this is a bad-looking car, especially when you compare it to something like the Nissan Vision Gran Turismo 2020. We'll come to that in a moment. Uh, but talking about getting into the car market and practical cars, Brian, you were mentioning, Yamaha might uh, get into car making, and they had the sports ride concept there now this is something that's probably a little bit more in the lotus elise type of car i thought it was an elise the first time i saw it it's very much in that uh you know very small two-door sports car vein like the elise and and it's, i quite like it it's there's been a few experiments with motorcycle engines because they tend to be very powerful for their weight so um, as long as you attach it to something that isn't too heavy, you can make a pretty quick vehicle. Well, actually, Yamaha has made some pretty significant engines in its time. The Volvo V8, for example, is a Yamaha-derived engine. They were, I believe, involved in the Toyota 2000 GT we were mentioning earlier, the one from James Bond. Well, not just from James Bond, but certainly used in James Bond some time ago. See, it's an interesting point, Brian. If you want to get into the car market and you're Yamaha, do you go in like cars that are derivative of motorbikes, which are functional but not necessarily very sexy, or do you really try and bite the bullet and go in with something that is a real hero car. It's a different question, isn't it, David? Because, uh, you know, if Yamaha's getting into the car market, then your immediate thought is what will get them in there is the brand, the, the motorcycle, something unusual, something, you know, like a big motorcycle. Um, you know, you wouldn't expect them to come in with a sedan and say the new Yamaha sort of mm. four-door sedan. It Camry. really ought, yeah, it ought to be some kind of, interesting attempt at something different you know that mm. uh, well i mean of course suzuki sort of started with the sierra which was a you know a re at the time a relatively unusual very compact four-wheel drive and of course now yeah. they just make regular boring cars like everybody else but um i think yamaha's it, it's got a off to a good start it's it's quite a good looking car i mean it does look like an Elise, so that's not a bad starting reference. It's got a little bit of McLaren at the front of it, although yeah. those four lights actually remind me of an Alpha 159 sedan, the lights at the front, but that's just me. Uh, the back, I think, is a bit Elise in its... Uh, in yes, its it's, notice we haven't mentioned anything Japanese. Ah, yes, that's rather interesting. Hmm. Now, Errol, you did mention the Nissan Vision Gran Turismo 
220. I believe this has been in the game, Gran Turismo. This looks like something that belongs on a ZZ Top cover. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I thought of? I immediately thought of Stutz. Yes, yes, the Stutz Bearcat and stuff like that. The Bearcat and things like that. Stutz made cars back in around 1911 till 1935. They came back in 68, but uh, only in minute numbers and not being built now. But, you know, they had exaggeration. This is a a, a bit of that and the the Batmobile in there Mm. as well, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bright red Batmobile, really. Um, And it sort of looks like it's, it's half spaceship, half car. When spaceships are all about the ship rather than the driver or the room inside, aren't they? Yes. So this is almost like, and and the last thing you think about is putting someone inside the car. Designed to be looked at. Indeed. Mm. And now they say that that might have some sort of future push towards what the GTR might look like. And I've got to say, uh, Nissan GTRs are great uh, performance cars, but gee, I think they've been ugly in their time. This is certainly a, a different approach. I saw the name Suzuki Mighty Deck, and I must confess I felt <laughs> somewhat ill at ease. You've, I, I've misread it as Mighty Duck, um, and it is bright yellow. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this is one of those, not sure if it's going forwards or backwards cars. It's got very horizontal lines on the roof and the and the bodywork. The rear quarter seems to only go halfway up. They're trying that floating roof trick, like we mentioned uh, previously. It's only got a 600cc engine. I assume it's designed for efficiency. It uses triangles for the lights, which remind me of, uh, what was that cough lo- lozenge? That, uh... <laughs> yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but in the back... It's got the potential for this little decked area, which could be a dicky seat. Yeah, it's got a boot that doesn't lock a kind of... There's a boot hidden underneath a, a sort of tailgate and a deck, but it has an open sort of... Uh, yeah, almost a spa, really, I'm <laughs> thinking. That yes, yes. an open I'd, area at the back. I, I, I half, half expected there to be a, uh, a barbecue in there when they dropped the tail. Yes. Do you think it could <laughs> um, be a dicky seat, David? Uh, someone's mentioned it as a possibility. Because a dicky seat was where the boot lid used to fold out from the top and people could sit in there, which the wind in your hair must have been appalling. It can't have been a comfortable seat Mm. either for a room or for that. The only other thing is, and I'll talk about this on the next one that we're going to too, which is the Suki Air Trizza, um, is that uh, it could be the sort of thing where you put a seat in the back there when you pick someone up like Uber. Oh, Oh, yes. They don't have to be in the compartment with you. Right, so they can be out in the weather. A hitchhiker. Well, also someone who's uh, decidedly drunk. Yeah, you put them in the back of the, <laughs> in the boot, basically. It's, it's, it's easier just to, just to, you know, wash it out with the hose. Correct. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so that moves us on to the Suzuki Air Treza, uh, Treza, um, which is sort of looks almost like a combi van. Only squarer. But in fact, of course, inside it works a bit like an RV where you can uh, set it up like a lounge room, but then when you want to drive, you reconfigure the seats and, and put it there, which, of course, may not need to be necessary to reconfigure if we get autonomous vehicles. That's right, David, and this sort of vehicle is the sort of thing that I expect to see on our roads more and more, and particularly as autonomous vehicles come in. A vehicle that's incredibly... Um, versatile. See, what I'm missing from this motor show so far is real versatility. The 
the Mighty Deck is a is a silly little gadget. It's a gimmick to get attention, and many of the other vehicles are you know deliberately obscure or or impractical. I think what I'd like to see is more of this sort of stuff. Let's explore and understand how vehicles will change and how how they can be more practical for people to use. The dashboard is fully digital and there's a giant screen that wraps from the roof from the sides of the car, allowing a smartphone to connect to it and stream music, video and photos. Now, you see, the other use that might be of it, uh, Brian, is that uh, if you and I want to have a meeting, we'll meet halfway and we'll meet in the car. Yeah, Mm. yeah. But, but if, I imagine, a, 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 can you imagine an autonomous camper van? Because you could basically just sleep in it on the way to work. Yeah, of course. It, it's, this is only a concept. It's highly unlikely to ever go into production. But I think it, as a pure concept car for people to explore what things mean, uh, I, I think it's a really interesting and challenging kind of vehicle. It's, it's, it appears to be much more about the passenger's experience than the driver's experience. It's a, a 1.4-litre four-cylinder hybrid um, vehicle. Um, so it's it's about a vehicle moving around in the city and being useful. I I want to see more of this sort of stuff. And the nice thing is the doors on the side are two doors that sort of slide open on it with no middle pillar, so mm. it is incredibly accessible. Mm. Finally, gentlemen, Mercedes-Benz vision of the connected lounge. It's a very futuristic-looking car. It sort of looks... To my mind, if you go a little bit back to the monkey's car with that sort of low roof and long, long roof line, I'm showing my age. Yes. But, of course, with sort of modern styling, does it impress you? Uh, look, again, the, the concept, I think, is a, a vehicle that's um, potentially autonomous. It's um, something that's that can be used in different ways. Uh, it does interest me. Um, it kind of looks like it's moulded out of or bashed out of a sheet of a block of aluminium. So it has an interesting look about it. And again, I think it's starting to tell us how digital can really change the way cars work. So, um, you know, it doesn't really have a windscreen. It's got continuous glass panelling. And conceivably, of course, you can start to change that windscreen into some other kind of display. Mm. I like the ideas that are being presented here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it looks uh, decidedly different with those sort of iridescent blue wheels mm. and bl- blue lighting and that. But I'm not sure why the wheels need to glow blue. It's almost sort of back to the future. Well, sort of one stuff, of the questions is why not? Why can't our wheels glow and and um, <laughs> you know, be more visually interesting? Let's let's yes, explore this, this what is, this, these are electric spinners. Yeah, let's explore what digital can do for us to differentiate ourselves, to provide warnings, better visibility, uh, all sorts of things. Gentlemen, that's uh, lovely reflections, both practical and quirky, uh, and I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith, and we were talking about the Tokyo Motor Show. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Paul Morell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.